job. I want to just turn our attention to a passage of scripture in John chapter 8 tonight. If you could turn in your Bibles there. And uh, in a moment, we'll have it up on the, up on the screen, not just at the moment. But um, just like to take a moment to talk about that and let me share. I, I was just uh, reading an interesting article. It talked about there was a British uh, conference happened and they were doing on comparative religions and, and they were discussing, uh, they, they, they had some debate was centered around what makes Christianity different to any other religion. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. What makes Christianity different to any other belief system in the world? And they started to eliminate all the possibilities of what make Christianity different. And they talked about resurrection. And yet they thought, well, certainly that would make Christianity different. And yet what they discovered was is that there's other belief systems that talk about their gods actually coming back from the dead and things like that. And they thought, well, we can't say that is the difference between Christianity and other beliefs. And they talked about incarnation. But then again, there was other belief systems that had a, a savior that you know, came alive. And so there was a whole lot of things they looked at. And then there was a man walked into the room in the middle of this debate. His name was C.S. Lewis. Some of you may know him. He's an author. And he wrote uh, all those books on the Nadia um, books, which became movies, of course, you know. And he walked into the room and he asked, what are you discussing? And all the, the guys said, well, we're discussing what and debating what makes Christianity different from every other belief system in the world. And he says, that's easy. And they said, well, what is it? And he said, grace, G-R-A-C-E, grace. And they all thought about it for a while and they thought, yeah, discussion was finished, debate was finished. And they came up with grace is different to, to every other belief system in the world. And when you think about it, that's the truth of the matter. Uh, It's interesting to know that the Buddhists have an eightfold path. The Hindus, a doctrine of karma. The Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each declaring that to make it and and to be able to appease their God, you've got to reach some standard or some, um, some effort you've got to put in. And when we look at Christianity... Uh, the, the interesting is that while Christianity offers a way to, to the one true God, and it's not through effort on our part, it's effort on his part. And, and, and quite literally, grace is this. Grace, grace is, it refers to the unmerited love that, that results in the forgiveness of our sins. Unmerited love that results in the forgiveness of sins. And, and, they, had to understand, and they came up with the reality that is the truth, that grace in the Christian faith, is never seen in any other belief system in the world. Um, in actual fact, in our New Testament Bible, in our Bible, 150 times it mentions the word grace in the New Testament alone. Actually, more than it mentions the word love, which is interesting, isn't it? Because you'd think love would be high on the agenda, and it is a theme of the Bible, but grace is mentioned so much more. And, you know, I, I, I thought, why would that be so? And, and it, maybe it's the word grace is mentioned so much in the New Testament is because the very idea of a divine love that has no strings attached, that the, God would love us unconditionally with no strings attached, seems to go against the very instinct of humanity. Because we always think uh, to receive the love of God you know, we've got to do something to earn it. Isn't it true? And as I've said before, we could, God could not love us any more than he does tonight. And uh, 
we cannot do anything more to make him love us more and we can't do anything wrong to make him love us less which is if you were to take a hold of that and just think about that for a moment that's a pretty powerful thought because i go to work or you go to work and you go even home in your own relationships and sometimes love can be based upon the fact of how much we do for each other with god it isn't he just loves that's grace pretty amazing do you think so pretty amazing someone actually said wrote a song didn't they amazing grace how sweet the sound because they knew and and even the apostle paul actually he put this we'll put this verse up in ephesians it just says this in ephesians chapter 2 for it is by come on it's for by what grace you've been saved through faith and and it's not of yourself it's the gift of god not by works, so that no one can boast. Isn't it interesting that it's a gift? It's not something you can pull your money out of your pocket and say, I'll have some of that. Does it cost 20? Folks, you haven't got enough money for grace. Grace costs nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. That's priceless. So forget about it. Put your money away. You've got nothing. That, the, the only, he doesn't ask anything for this. It's a gift. And a gift is always given freely. A gift that is maybe undeserved, but it's a gift all the same. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, when I bought a house, uh, when I was quite many years younger than I am now, I bought a house in Gladstone. It 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 was just a box on stilts, but it was a house. It cost $36,000, you can appreciate. It was quite a while ago. I remember that I I didn't have enough for the deposit, at $6,000 deposit. And my mum and dad came along and said, that's fine, we'll put put in $4,000 and you put in $2,000. Hey, thanks, Dale. Uh, You put in part and we'll put in part and and then you'll have the deposit to buy your first house. And I thought, brilliant. So we did that and I did pay it back over a couple of years. So that was fine. But it's interesting, you know, so... Um, so I put in kind of so much and parents put in so much and and yet when I come to my heavenly father it's not like there's this deal that says well you put in 30 percent and I'll put in 70. God says as long as you put in your 30 percent I'll make up the rest. God doesn't have a plan like that. God's plan is simply a hundred percent. I'll put it all in. You don't need a deposit on this grace. (laughs) It's already there for you. Uh, you don't have to earn it. And you know, the wonderful thing is I don't even have to pay it back. Isn't that incredible? I, I don't owe him anything. He did it all for me. Uh, and you know, the wonderful thing about our God is that he even g- gave me grace well before I acknowledged him with no guarantee that I'd even follow him after he gave the grace through his son, Jesus. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Have you ever did, sorry, did, have you ever done anything for somebody and, and, and the truth is you did it, but there, there, there can be in our human understanding a desire to think, well, if I do it, I'll get something back. God, God did it knowing that maybe people would never respond to it. He still did it anyway. That, that's with no strings attached, isn't it? That's no conditions. That's amazing. So, the question I had to ask myself about grace is because some of us here have probably heard lots and lots of messages on grace. But I, had to th- I wanted to explore the, the moment for a thing tonight, saying, well, what, how does God demonstrate his grace towards me? Can we just look for a moment tonight, literally, what does he do? Practically, what does grace mean for you and me in 2015 on planet Earth? 
Because uh, it's just easy to say, well, God gives us his unconditional love. But what does that mean? What does it look like? And I believe in John chapter 8, we see a picture of what grace looks like. And I'd like to just read that passage right now. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And we'll turn it over to there. It mightn't be working, this thing tonight. There we go. It's working. John chapter 8. You can, if you've got your Bibles, please look there. But you, you're welcome to read it off the screen. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses and the law commanded us that we, she should be stoned, but what do you say? This they, uh, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Uh, we go on to the next verse 7. So when they continued asking him, uh, he raised himself up and said to them, who, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went one by, out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the, to the last, or even some versions say the youngest, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the middle. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to a woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And, and she said, No one, Lord. And, and Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Go and sin no more, hey? What a wonderful sight. I believe this is a picture of uh, things that we could just put together tonight and just get a really wonderful practical picture of grace and I want to just uh, start with this thought. And the first thought is, is that we see Jesus was, went, had been on the Mount of Olives for the night. He spent all night, I think, praying, talking to his Heavenly Father. He comes down early in the morning to the temple and people are there and he teaches them. And it's interesting, Jesus was not on the payroll. And yet he got up early to do the, uh, it wasn't like he was rostered on to do the early shift. But he got up and he came down to the temple. Why was he there early? You know why he was there early? Because he wanted to be where the people were. He wanted to be there. He, he wanted to teach them again. He wanted to spend time with them. And I'm glad that we don't serve a God that's some mystic that's on a mountain. You ever seen those cartoons where the, the person's climbing the mountain and gets up the top and here's a man sitting cross-legged or whoever, and he's a mystic and, and he has great words of wisdom. Jesus doesn't sit on a mountain waiting for us to retain to his level. He comes down to us. And he comes into the temple early morning, very early in the morning, because Jesus was in the place of the people to help the people, to teach the people. It was all about us. It wasn't about his comfort. It was all about us, the people. And it demonstrates the heart of God towards us. And the interesting thing, notice what it says. If we go back to the scriptures, it says he came in verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came what? He came again into the temple. He came again. To, that, would, that would very clearly state that he, he'd been there before, wouldn't it? It would actually state that he'd been there many times before. But he came again, and he came again. And Jesus, uh, uh, this means Jesus came to teach the people again and again. And, you know, I've discovered in my Christian life, I don't know about you, but I've learned some lessons, and I go away, and I, and I find that I have to relearn the lesson again and again. I find that sometimes I make the same mistake again and again. And I'm just glad that I've got a God that doesn't say to me, I'm sorry, one strike and you're out, but he'll come again. 
He'll come again to us and teach us again. I think that's an incredible picture of the grace of God. He'll come again and come alongside us. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I go around the mountain several times before I learn the lesson of life sometimes or or the principle. Look, I can appreciate maybe you guys are all so different. I just get it the first time. I've, I've had to learn it several times. And I'm just glad he came again. He comes again. I'm so grateful for God that his grace says, I'm going to come again. I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm so grateful for God. He teaches me over and over again. I'm just glad he didn't throw his hands in the air when I first done the wrong thing or failed in life and say, well, I'm sorry, one strike and you're out of here. See you later. I'll just cross you off the list. I'll go and attend to the other people. No, he doesn't do that. You know, you wouldn't be here if that was the case. Isn't that true? We wouldn't be here. When I was in grade eight, I, it must have been a more turbulent part of my life. Um, for most of us, probably that time was a bit turbulent. We were trying to work out hormones, trying to work out um, what girls looked like and trying to work out what boys, a whole lot of stuff was happening in life. As maybe some of you can relate to that. And, and I remember that there was, I didn't get the cane. There was a thing called the cane. It was about a seven millimeter piece of cane, about a meter and a half long. And, and you'd hold your hand out and you remember those days. Just me, okay. Anybody ever received a cane? Now, all under the age of 25 wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. But in those days, you'd put your hand out if you'd done something wrong and you'd get the cane. And I remember in grade 8, I got it once and uh, that was enough for me. I never went back again to get the cane. But I'm glad the headmaster didn't say, well, as soon as um, I give this to you, that's, I'll write you a note. You're out of this school. You're finished with and uh, one strike and you're out. I'm glad he didn't do that because I went on to become a half-decent student and not do too bad in life. Uh, I'm just glad that we serve a God who doesn't just rule us out. But he comes, he gives us, he comes again. So come on, pick up the pieces and let's run again. Come on, yeah, you failed, but uh, come on, uh, come to me, let's run again. He doesn't give up on us. He comes again and again and again. And if this, the, if the first thing I want to say about God's grace is God's grace is again and again and again. He came to the temple again and he, he wants to come into your... Some of you might be here tonight and saying, could God really forgive me again? Could God really extend his hand of love to me again? Yes, he can and he will and he always does. Here's the second thing that I love about the grace of God that's so practical. Uh, it says in verse 3 there, it says the scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman caught in adultery and they had set her in the midst of them and she, she, she was actually caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't just some gossip. It just wasn't some statement. They went into the wherever she was, they caught her in the act of, of having a sexual relationship with a married man, okay? Just if you didn't know what adultery was. And they grabbed her out of that situation. They literally dragged her all the way back to temple. Uh, it says in verse 4, and, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teach this woman, a teacher this woman was caught in the act, caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, In the law Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Now, just think about this for a moment. She's been caught in the act of adultery. They've literally grabbed her by the arms. Uh, hopefully, she was able to cover herself. Uh, they dragged her back. Now, somewhere between uh, where she was caught and the temple, she must have been thinking, this is not a good day. Would you agree? She must have been thinking, man, let, might the ground just open up and swallow me because I really don't want to be here. 
Now, you know, it's not a good day when you get caught doing the wrong thing, but it's really not a good day when you get dragged before church, up the front, thrown before the church, before the preacher. That's not a good day. Would anybody like to volunteer tonight? <laughs> but that wouldn't have been a good day for her. Would you agree? Can you see the ramifications of the, the, the incredible shame and embarrassment upon this life? I'm not justifying her sin. I'm just saying, <laughs> it was not, that was, you know, sometimes... That just wasn't a good thing. And so she was dragged, she was put in front of the preacher and, and have your sins told to everybody. There'd be, there'd be a lot of shame about that. Verse 6, Jesus stoops down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. I want to tell you the second thought of what grace is, looks like. It's when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, stoops down and gets down on our level. When he comes and meets us where we're at. When he sits with us in the dust of life and says, I understand. He sits. See, the second way I see that God shows us his grace is the way that he stoops to side with us. See, history is filled with um, belief systems that say there's a pathway to the divine. In other words, if you can do, so, if you can do all these things, you'll reach a divine level. Christianity doesn't say that. Jesus is different. Jesus actually took on a humble position and became a man and came down to us. Does that make sense? A lot of belief systems say, no, you've got to go up to that God to attain. No, no, no. Jesus said, I'll come down to you. I'll meet you where you're at. I love that. It says in Philippians 2, 7, he humbled himself and took on a position of a servant. Jesus didn't cling to his divine, to his divine privilege, even though he could have. He did commit, he did um, healing and miracles and all those things, but he took on the form of a man and he came to earth and he didn't try and stand over us, but he took a humble position of a human being while, while still being God. I love that, still being God. And how does God make his grace visible? Well, he does it by taking on flesh and blood like us and stooping down, lowering himself to our level and comes alongside us. I love that. I love that. So... How can we see the, the richness of God's grace? Ephesians 2.7 says, we see the richness of God's grace by the kindness of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. The kindness of Jesus Christ. It's interesting in that little verse, Ephesians 2.7, it says that the kindness of, of Jesus draws us to God. The kindness is an interesting Greek word because it literally can be uh, interpreted in the English, adaptable. And if there's one thing that Jesus did was he become adaptable to humanity now please understand this he, he, in other words he adapted himself so many belief systems in the world say no you've got to change and reach their level of ability and and effort where god says no no we'll come down and jesus christ adapted himself and became a human being and that's what kindness can mean in the uh, english as well so the word kindness is seen in the kindness or the adaptability of god to us and we see that sinful humans can never become as good as god so jesus adapted himself down to humanity to become like us but not sinful like us he adapted by stooping to become to become human like and he came and that's the grace of god so jesus stoops down and the crowd says, stone her, okay? You can pit the picture. She's in the front of the temple. She's, she's ashamed. She's sitting there cowering. And they're saying, stone her, stone her. And what is Jesus' response to that? Jesus' response 
was to write in the dirt and say nothing. To say nothing. And I started to think, why would he not say anything? Well, I think he was just waiting for the right moment. But the reality is, uh, you know, as I thought about it, didn't Jesus, didn't Jesus think that adultery was a big deal? Is Jesus gone soft on sin all of a sudden? It, it, does he doesn't want to say a thing? It, it, verse, you know, verse 7 says they continued to ask him. They continued to ask him, come on. Uh, and and he, they continued to press Jesus, come on. Uh, Moses said he, she should be stoned. We're going to stick to the law. We should stone her. What do you say? They kept on pressing and pressing and pushing and pushing. And uh, Jesus doesn't say anything and, uh, for an answer. They wanted blood. They were ready to throw the stones. Jesus said nothing. And though Jesus is righteous, he lowers, uh, um, he, he lowers himself to the place. Isn't it interesting? He lowered himself to the place of the guilty and puts himself in harm's way, quite literally, to speak. So to speak, for if anyone did throw a stone, he was in the firing line. I, I believe it's a picture that when Jesus stoops, he, he, he reaches down to us. Jesus is silent, not because he approved of the sin. Let's, let's understand that. He wasn't approving of the sin, because he, but he was just helping people to understand that his mission was to absorb our sin, not approve it. Jesus came to absorb our guilt while preserving the guilty. The guilty are us. He's the one who preserves us and we get preserved. Isn't it wonderful? The only way for him to do that was for him to side with the guilty and to not retaliate back. Why? Because Jesus throughout his life was pointing us to the incredible picture of grace. The incredible picture of grace. Jesus does not destroy us because of our sin. Just like the crowd wanted to destroy that lady caught in adultery. But Jesus absorbed it. The condemnation of sin as a true saviour would. And, and even though in this picture of this John 8, we don't see, you know, Jesus stooped down. But we see the picture not too many, um, you know, months in the future where Jesus died on the cross, of course, and he absorbed the sin of the world. What an incredible thing that was. How does God show us grace? Uh, well, the truth is the crowd keep demanding an answer. Jesus stood up. He then stood up. So, so, the, so the, the second thing I see, just let's get it clear. The first thing that Jesus comes again, the second thing is he stoops down to relate to humanity. The third thing we see is interesting. Finally, Jesus stands up in verse 7 and he says something. He who is without sin uh, among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Uh, great question. Uh, what a brilliant one-liner. He doesn't say much. But he gets up and he makes this statement. I reckon if people had uh, their mobile phones, that iPhone 6, they would have been tweeting that. Jesus tweeted, wow, what an amazing statement. It would have been all over Facebook. Man, one-liner. Jesus makes a one-liner that's incredible. It's a wow statement, isn't it? Because I couldn't have thought of that, but he did. He stands up. And this is the third thing Jesus does. He stands up to defend us. He stands up to defend us. This is how his grace is shown. Not only because he comes again, not only because he stoops down to relate to us, but he stands up to defend us. And I know that this is an act of grace. He defends this woman. And what Jesus has done for this woman, he does for you and I as well. He wants to stand up and defend us. He doesn't justify our sin. He defends us against who? Against the enemy. He defends you sometimes against your own thoughts, which continually want to bombard you 
with what you've done wrong. He stands up. He tells the woman. You know, it's interesting. After he, he, he stands up, and he doesn't tell the woman after that to, to get, he doesn't tell the woman after to get up and defend herself. He defends her, doesn't he? He defends her. He doesn't, come on, come on, you get up and say something. No, he defends her. He says something. And he asks, and Jesus asks God to not condemn her, but to, and, and we see the story unfold. He doesn't condemn her. So um, it's interesting, but Jesus is our wonderful, he's our defender. He's our, if we ever see the grace of God, it's in Jesus' defense of you and me. Now, are we deserving of it? No, but does he want to do it? Yes. There's an interesting verse in 1 John 2, 1. It just says that he's our advocate. He's the one who defends us. Look at this verse. Uh, is it the right one? No, this one. 1 John. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, let, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words, Jesus defends us. He stands up on our behalf. I went to a camp at the age of 19 at Harvey Bay. Always remember this camp for this one event. There was a couple reasons I remember the camp, but there was this one event that happened. I pulled up and I hold in Kingswood and I didn't know anybody at the camp, so I just registered and got my gear and dumped it in a dormitory. There's a dormitory of about six beds in each dormitory. I dumped it in this particular bed and, and, and you know, we had a good night, a great meeting. I think Steve Penny was preaching that night at this Harvey Bay camp and God was just doing wonderful things. But obviously there were some guys who got up to some mischief that night because the next morning I'm kind of laying in my bed and all the guys in my dorm were laying there and the pastor who was the convener of the camp looking after the camp came in and he gave us all a piece of his mind because uh, somebody, these guys, well, as far as he was concerned, everybody in this dormitory that I was in had done something very wrong that night. I never really found out what it was because I didn't have a chance to ask him because he pretty much gave us both barrels for about 35 seconds and then said, you guys, if you dare do anything else, you're kicked out of this camp. And he looked at me and said, you and you and you. And I'm kind of laying there a little bit in shock. You know, uh, what is happening here? And, and I was about to say something and he just turned around and marched out. All the other guys are looking rather sheepish. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know what the pastor was talking about. Within an hour, I was walking around in the grounds of the campsite, and the pastor walked up to me, and he had a chat with me. And I thought, he's going to give me another blast. <laughs> I don't know what this is about. But he walked up to me, and he apologized to me, and he said, I want to say sorry, because I've just discovered that you weren't a part of that group. And I said, no, I wasn't. I said, how did you know? He says, the young guy who was the leader of that group came and told me that you weren't a part of it and you weren't involved. And he actually defended you and said that, you, that, that they felt so bad about me copying it for what they'd done wrong. And they stood up for me and defended me. He was an advocate on my behalf. And the pastor then apologized. And I always remember that. And I thought, my goodness, Jesus, that's what exactly you do for me. You defend me, not against the pastor, but against the enemy, against the accusations. The enemy wants to kill and to steal and destroy you. Did you know that? Don't ever doubt what the enemy's real, what he wants to do in your life. That's all he wants to do. So when he throws the carrots out and all the pleasures of, of the flesh and all the things of sin, ultimately there's a payday and he's going to laugh all the way to hell with you if, if we take it that way. You know that far. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, when we come to him, is an advocate. He stands and defends us. 
so we don't need to cop the punishment. I reckon that's pretty good news. What do you reckon? Pretty good news. And you know, the devil, Satan seeks to accuse you. I want to tell you that one of the worst things that accuses is your own mind. I give the devil plenty of fodder sometimes in my thinking to, to accuse me of, you know, and we've got to battle with that sometimes. Oh, I've done this and I've done that and oh, my pastor's here. And, you know, I want to tell you that Jesus says, come on, the pastor's past, don't let it last. The future is the future. So often we can say, and, and sometimes we go through our Christian walk and we can say, oh, I'm doing well, I'm doing better now. And man, we fail and we fall over. And I think, oh, I thought I was doing better. And we try to defend ourselves. Forget about defending yourself. Just point to Christ. He's our advocate. He's our defender. So, because you just get yourself all screwed up. And, and I try to keep, don't try and keep a tally of how many right and wrongs you've done in the week. Uh, you know, but just continually say, just keep close to the Savior. Keep close to God because he's our defender. Our Jesus is our defender. And he helps us to stand. He will stand for us as our advocate, as our lawyer, as the one who says, Satan, back off. This is my child when we come to him. I reckon that's pretty good. Here's the last, uh, one, of, here's the last one I want to say to you tonight. Not only uh, does he, he come again, not only does he stoop down, not only does he defend us, uh, Jesus, but it just says Jesus hung around to comfort her. Because after he got down in the dirt and then he stood up and said he was without sin, throw the first stone. And then he got down again and he stuck with her until every accuser had left. I like that. I love that. How long did it take for all these people, these men with their rocks to leave the scene? I don't know. Maybe it took five minutes. Maybe it took 50 minutes. But it says, you know, how long does it take a young man to, to realize that he's a sinner as well? Because they said it was the youngest who left last. How long does it take? I don't know. But I want to say that probably the reality is, it wasn't the, the fact is, is that not that, Jesus, that not that Jesus stuck around for whatever length of time it took. It's, it's the fact that Jesus stuck around all the time. He was there. He wasn't about to leave the scene. But let me put it this way. Where did I write it? I don't think the point is how, how long Jesus stayed. The point is that Jesus stayed. That's what I'm trying to say. He stayed. And that's the great news for us because we have an advocate that stays with us. And that's what grace is. It's not the fact that he is with us at our lowest points, folks, but it's the fact that he's with us at all our points of life. I'll say it again. It's not the fact that Jesus Christ wants to be with you at your lowest points. It's the fact that he's there at every point of your life. If only we'd realize it. Every point of our life. He doesn't kind of, he's not here today, gone tomorrow. He's not fleeting. He's there all the time. The Bible actually puts it this way. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm glad that verse doesn't kind of go, I'll never leave you nor forsake you as long as you stay free of sin. I, I want to stay free of sin. I'm just saying that I'm glad that it, he's still there. Um, sin builds the wall between me and God. Uh, God doesn't build the wall. Uh, grace knocks it down if we allow it to. Um, grace is his saving love for the whole of your life journey, not just for the bad parts of your life journey. Uh, the same grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you in life. You see, grace is not just a pre-prayer before your meal time. You understand that. 
in actual fact, I don't know, he even named it grace because I've never seen evidence. There's <laughs> probably a reason that we... Uh, really, the pre-prayer is just that. It's just a prayer. Grace, that's something completely different. Completely different. Um, grace is saying, I love you for the whole of your life. Grace is not just... And grace is not just for a new convert or a new person who's come to Jesus. Grace is for everybody who's, who wants to live for Christ, whether you've been living for Jesus for one month or one year or 10 years or 50 years. Your gra- His grace is still necessary, isn't it? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, you can know His great strength. It's through His grace. I love the fact that Jesus didn't give this woman a set of rules to live by. He didn't give her seven steps to chastity. He didn't give her ten commandments to recite every day. Think about it. He didn't say to her, here's what you need to do. He didn't give her the address of adulterers anonymous and say, go and join this group and they'll help you. He didn't do that. Do you know why Jesus didn't do that? Because he understands grace. He understands the reality that, that what grace does. And that is that grace, when it is shown, it can impact the person's life so much that it brings transformation in the heart and the life of that person for, for their lifetime. Grace itself can transform us when we have a revelation of how much he's extended his arms to us. Grace shown to a person can build a loyalty in that person's heart like no other spiritual truth. Get a load of this verse in Titus is my last verse. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say what? Come on, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's the grace of God. When a person, Jesus didn't get a set of rules to this woman. He said, does anybody condemn you? No one condemns me. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Not his Ten Commandments to recite every day. Here's a set of rules to break the habit. No, he said, go and sin. In other words, he showed her an unmerited favor and love. We don't know the ending of this precious lady's story. I would hope that she was so touched by the grace. If we were to live according, if if we could believe that scripture, I would say that hopefully she was so touched by his grace and love that she went on to live a different life. Certainly Mary Magdalene did, didn't she? There was hundreds of people who did. In actual fact, you're probably here tonight because hopefully you've understood how much God's love is for you. What trains us and helps us to say no to temptation is grace. Every time morality is taught in the New Testament, it's not taught in the context of rules, it's taught in the context of grace. Because you think of the verses, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Live holy as Christ has made you holy. Be generous because Christ who was rich made himself poor that you might be made rich. Husbands, love your wives, not because you have to, but because Christ has loved you. Isn't that grace? See, every time Jesus teaches about lifestyle in the New Testament, it's not what you have to do, but he says here, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Can we stand tonight?